before we continue in our worship to the preaching of God's word, I invite you first to join me in a prayer of confession. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you again for the privilege to worship, for your mercy that you lavish upon us in our corporate gathering. When we come this morning to confess, confess our frailty, confess our weakness, confess our capacity to perpetually prone, uh, be prone to wander, to struggle with sin, but we, we hate it. We hate it and we long to know you more fully. We long to, um, to have intimacy with you, to worship you well. We know that our sin, though, it can never break the reality of our lives being hidden in Christ for our atonement that is paid in full by our Savior. Yet it does hinder our communion with you. It does hinder our intimacy. It does hinder our fellowship with you. And ultimately, it opens cracks for our grand enemy to harm our fellowship with one another. So we come, as you have instructed us, as your children, full of repentance, full of confession, knowing that it is good for our soul and is honoring and glorifying to you. So would you hear our hearts this morning? Oh, how we long to know you more fully. Oh, how we long to treasure the reality of our cleansed state. But we perpetually need to have our feet washed. And we thank you for that. And we come with uh, hearts full of confession, longing to know you more fully, longing to walk in righteousness. Hear our hearts. Strengthen us, O oh Lord. Equip us to be light. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen. This morning we continue back in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. And this morning we're going to back up a little bit and look at verses 17 through 24. So we've been dealing primarily with verse 21. Uh, but this morning we're going to still stay in context there, but back up a little bit and begin to take more of uh, a return uh, to our, our um, working through the book of Acts verse by verse. And so um, we'll include uh, verse 21, which has been very familiar to us. We spent the last four weeks there, but we're going to back up and catch verse 17 through 24. And again, a little of this is, re- is review. We've touched on 17 and 18 uh, prior, but that's been a long time ago. So I'm going to try to catch that back up and just do a small review there, and we'll work our way up to verse 24. Uh, I've entitled this morning's message, Paul's Approach to Ministry. So if you will, let's look there again at the text and uh, um, grab our context here. So Look back at the beginning of verse 17, and we'll read through 24. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable profitable, and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And how beyond bound by and, 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 and now behold, bound by the spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, expecting that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and affliction await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ and testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace (laughs) of God. Well, really, when we think about this entire chapter uh, of chapter 20, it it really conveys Paul's love for the church. 
And we've seen that building up in here more than maybe any other chapter in Acts. That is just, that just spills out his love for the church. But this uh, uh, text sheds light specifically on his approach to ministry. And uh, we understand that an approach to ministry is always there. And in Paul's case, yeah, when we look back, we see that it's, stri- it's scripturally driven. And Paul is going to be in a unique place. He's an apostle of Christ. He has a unique authority. And so to some way, as followers of Christ, we cannot directly relate to Paul. He has a unique calling. But we certainly can, in a general sense, relate to him. And as he was one of the vessels that God the Holy Spirit would use to pen the New Testament and fulfill the canon of Scripture, still his ministry, as he's in process, is founded on Scripture. His approach to ministry is a scripturally-based approach. So right here in this section, although we see it's an extension of his love for the church that just spills out of this chapter, we can hold this little section kind of specifically and look at his approach to ministry because it kind of falls out for us here in a very direct way. And it's a little unusual to give an application up, up front, but I believe that would be appropriate in this case. God has also given you a ministry. If you're here and you're a genuine blood-bought follower of Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, God Almighty, through the person of Jesus Christ, has ransomed you from your sin and brought you into his glorious kingdom, then you, as long as you are on this terrestrial ball, you have a ministry unto your Lord. Personally, you, given by God, have a ministry. So my encouragement for you this morning, by way of application, is to embrace it. Embrace it. Lay hold of it. Pray that God will help you to love it. Now, it's, well, wait a minute, I fear it. That's okay. So do I. That's part of loving it. It's part of embracing it. I'd be frightened for you if you didn't. Just don't let fear drive the reality of your ministry. Let a fear of God drive the reality of your ministry. Strive to fulfill it. My goodness, we can get caught up in so many things in this life. So many distractions. So many global crises that are rolling out in front of us. Strive to fulfill your God-given ministry. So there's a little application of encouragement right up front. And Paul did just that. And let me say, let me say this. Uh, when we're looking at Paul's ministry up front. His ministry reflected his character. So the ministry, you have a ministry, and it's going to roll out, and, and it's going to be a reflection of your character. There may be, there may be a, a lot of ways that you kind of try to work that out and parse that, but it, when it comes down to the bottom line, your ministry is going to reflect your character. There's always going to be critics. There's always going to be doubters. There's always going to be the enemy. There's always going to be struggles. But at the end of the day, it's going to reflect your character. That's where you have to stay. Don't worry about the complaints. Don't worry about the doubts. Honor God and strive to fulfill it. Okay? Think about Paul's ministry being a reflection of his character. We're going to look into that. Now, he loved God, and thus he loved his ministry. That's where it starts. He loved God, and he loved his ministry because his ministry was given to him by God. The same is true for you. Your ministry is going to be given to you by God, and you have one. Every Christian has one. You have one life, one ministry. Strive to fulfill it. Now, Paul's character reflected a man abandoned to God. That's what his character looked like. We could, we could talk about it, uh, and we could say many things about Paul. We could say many things about his character. But we were just going to try to nutshell it. This is a guy just abandoned to God. That's his character. That's, there's much for us to see. There's much for us to gain there. And that's why his ministry was, uh, was, was founded on example. His ministry is based on example, and the same should be true for us. Character builds the ministry. Not critics. Character builds the ministry. You need to criticize all the time. Character builds your ministry. If your ministry is founded on character, it's going 
be based on example. And then you have something to work with. Your example should drive your ministry. Again, the same should be true of us. That's true of Paul. So Paul taught and he acted upon what he taught. Listen to what he says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. First Corinthians 11.1. 1, Paul here speaking to the Corinthian church. Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. Now, we didn't know Paul. That would sound a little arrogant at first, but that's absolutely appropriate concerning Paul because his ministry is based on his character and his character is abandoned to Christ. And so he can honestly say for the good of the Corinthians, for the good of those who will read Corinthians, for us, is now if you look back on the Paul's life, this man used by God, yes, a unique ministry, but still much for us to gain in our ministry. We're looking at an apostle of Christ. So, yes, we're going to acknowledge that up front. There's a uniqueness to Paul's ministry. But the character, the approach, the abandonment to Christ, the example that he goes by, the example that sets a standard for his ministry is something we can all gain from. So he can, he can, he can say, this is fruitful to you. Imitate me. As I set an example of what it means to follow Christ, you pattern your life after me as I pattern mine after Christ. Now, that's pretty good. We want, if we can approach that in our personal ministry that God gives to us, then we're on the right track. Paul's ministry had credibility, didn't it? You know why it had credibility? Certainly it was founded on Scripture, so there's good ground there. But he had, it had credibility because he lived it out. He was an example. Exemplified it. His, his life matched up with it everywhere he went. It wasn't compartmentalized. You with me? His life matched it. Oh, how easy it is to compartmentalize it, is it not? Oh. Paul just rips that apart. You know, it's just not it. It's not it. It should exemplify our life, should exemplify our ministry. That's why he had credibility. It wasn't flowery speech. It wasn't as, as, as wit, as cunning, good looks. It was none of that. It was his character. And that his character drove his ministry. And he set example with his life based on what he taught. His Christian character. And uh, John MacArthur says this concerning Christian character. Actually, from this, from, uh, uh, brings this out from this very text. And John, John MacArthur said this. Be the kind of person that God wants you to be and let the Spirit work through. That's a pretty simple way of looking at it. It's a pretty healthy approach. That's exactly what we see in Paul. That's why his life is example. He, he strives to be what God wants him to be. He strives to fulfill his ministry, and he, allow, he allows the Spirit of God to work through him. There's that intimacy with God. So Paul's approach to ministry. Okay, I'm going to give you uh, four points here. And actually, speaking of John MacArthur, I'll pull them right from John MacArthur. So I'm going to give that credit up front. Some time back, John MacArthur laid out um, these four points for this text, and I found it very fruitful. And um, when I got here, I just I said, you know, I'm just taking them and giving credit because they're, they're, it's a pretty good, pretty good um, uh, four points here. Okay, and well, again, we're going to kind of continue to work through this thing as it really builds up uh, from 17 to verse 37. So there's there's uh, uh, more to do here, but um, Here's four points from MacArthur. I'm just going to use them and borrow them from him and give credit this morning. So he put it like this. Thinking of our approach to ministry as we pattern it and look at Paul's approach to ministry. One, service towards God. Two, service towards the church. Three, service towards the lost. And four, service towards self. Okay. That said, let's first look at verses 17 to 19, and that's service towards the Lord. Okay, look there with me again. So he sets it up and he says, uh, Paul sends for my leaders. He sends for the elders, right? And he calls the elders of the church to him. And he says, he tells them, when they had come to, come to him in verse 18, he says to them, you yourselves know from the very first day that I set foot in Asia that how, that how I was with you the whole time. And what was he doing there among them? He was serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials to come upon him to the plots of the Jews. So in context here, 
Paul's on the third leg of his missionary endeavor, and he's on his way back to Jerusalem, right? And so he's at Miletus there on his way back, and he calls the elders to himself there for one last time. Now, Paul, in his mind, knows that he's going to face persecution. When he comes back in Jerusalem, he's going to be persecuted. So he knows that. That's in the back of his mind. That's going to take place. And he realizes that it's probable from his perspective that he'll never see them again. As it turns out, history would tell us that's true. This is the last time they meet. But and Paul, when Paul calls them to him, he's going to be persecuted. He's, he's dead set on fulfilling his commitment. To, uh, to, to bring uh, this relief back to the Jewish church. So that's why he's collected a monetary relief to ease the suffering of the church in Jerusalem, the Jewish church suffering through a famine. And he's collected monetary gifts from all over the churches that he has planted in the Gentile world. And he's going to take it back. He's going to unite them in love and in what? Sacrifice. They're giving. They've sacrificed for themselves to give for the care of this Jewish church. So he's tying the two together. He's uniting that initial uniting of Jew and Gentile together, which has never really been the case. Now the gospel is going out, right? But there's, there's this unity that bonds us in Christ, that transcends all ethnicities, all uh, uh, social status, all culture, all climate, all mankind. We're unified in Christ. And he's doing that work at the very fundamental foundational level. And it's a beautiful, just, just straightforward example. He's carrying this monetary gift of love and sacrifice. And he's going to get it to the church there in Jerusalem. But it's going to cost him. If he goes back, man, the, uh, the, the Jewish leadership, uh, a portion of the Jewish leadership has chased him from pillar to post, Right. All over the Aegean Sea, both coasts. And so now he's going back into the lion's den and he's going to get persecuted. Probably, from his perspective, going to be the last time that he sees them. But he's going to do this. And so he's planted these churches, he's planted on both sides of the Aegean Sea, he's planted in Asia Minor, he's planted in Europe. And now he's on his way back and he's going to make this final way. So he speaks to these elders, and this is what he says to them. Basically, he says to them, your leadership pattern should follow my life. Lead by example. Now, it's in other words, but this is exactly what he's saying. I've got you here. I'm probably not going to see you again. And this is what I want you to know. You should follow my pattern of leadership, and that is you should be an example. All of your ministry should be set on the example of your life. Listen to what he says in the very first thing, verse 18. He calls them together, and he says this. When they had come to him, verse 18, he said to them, you yourselves know. Now, these elders that have been called out, they, they were probably some of the first disciples made there, right, in Ephesus. And so he says, you know, you know, what, I, you know what my life looked like. I was with you, and you know exactly what kind of man I am. You know my character. From the very first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, you know about me. That's where he goes, right to the character, right? That's the core issue. You know who I am. You know me. You know what I've said. I've also lived out. You know this. He knows that he says to them, you know that I poured my life into you. You're aware of that. And the same is true for the elders of this church. It's a unique role, yes. And Paul, to some degree, was a pioneer missionary elder initially establishing these churches. But it's true for all of us. It's true for all Christians. God has given you a ministry. And in that ministry, he's given you people to minister to. And part, a foundational part of that is for them to look back on your life when you're dead and gone. And some of them might still be around and say, I knew him. He poured his life into me. I knew her. She put her life into me. Dear sisters, when you minister, we're in a tight place, aren't we? It's a gift. We're looking for it. We're looking for some more gifts. They're a little more spacious, but it's a gift. Dear sisters, we hear you ministering to the children because we can't help it. <laughs> God bless you. God bless you. And they remember 
your character. I look back when you're dead and gone and say, I knew it. I knew it. She poured her life into me. Dads, dads, may, by God's grace, our children look back. See, you know, I knew my papa. I knew him. Poured his life into me, dads. Oh, may God let our example be such that they see that our ministry is a reflection of our character and that our leading them is a reality flows from our life, an example of who we are, our character. May it be true of us. Oh, God, may it be true of us. May it be true of all of you in the ministry that God has called you to. All of you have a ministry. Now, in verse 19, he kind of parses it out for us a little bit there. So look within verse 19. He kind of explains it a little bit. Again, these are some generalities, but they speak volumes to us. He says, you know me, in verse 18, and then he goes on to say, I serve the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Now, this really gets to the service of the Lord. So, again, MacArthur broke this, this uh, first point down, saying the first approach to ministry is always service to the Lord, right? And we talked about our, our character just up front here, a little bit of introduction and our example, but that's predicated upon our service to the Lord. That's where ministry starts. It has to be first and foremost an offering. It's just that simple. It's, an, it's a sacrifice unto the Lord. We're getting up every day and we'll, we'll talk about this, but we're searching out what that ministry is and we're striving to know it and to live it and to embrace it and to love it and to fulfill it. And moment by moment, day by day, as long as God has us on this side of glory, we're knowing that it's first and foremost a love offering, a sacrifice unto the Lord. That's exactly how Paul approaches it. He says this about that reality. I served you, which my service was in ultimately, my service to you was a service first and foremost unto the Lord. You see that? Serving the Lord. He was ministering to them, but he was serving first the Lord. And the ministry was a service that was in humility and with tears and with trials. So humility is an aspect of serving the Lord that is honoring to our God. Serving the Lord in humility. So a simple thought, don't think too highly of yourself. Yes, you have gifts. You have spiritual gifts. They're just that. They're gifts that God has given you. Use them diligently. Use them wisely. Take Paul's example and give God the glory. Don't think too highly of yourself. You know, I, I don't want to lower the bar here too much, but it's okay for us to kind of, uh, you know, we don't need to get too stiff. It's okay to kind of, it, it's, it's life and death ministry. It should sober us to the nth degree. It's okay to take a moment and just poke fun at yourself. It's okay to be human. Don't get all bollocked up about how much you know. Be by example. And let humility be a reflection of your ministry. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 12 and 13. Now I mean this, that each one of you uh, is saying, and now this is, let me back up a little bit. This is Paul now talking to the Corinthians church there. And he's uh, he's going to, to chide them a little bit about their um, their kind of little sex that they divvy up between themselves and the arrogance that they have between the sex and, and how all that works. And so he says, some of you are saying, I'm a Paul. And others, I am of Apollos. And others, I am of Cephas. And then we even had a real pious group there in that church. I'm Christ. We're Christ. And then he says, has Christ been divided? Well, that's a rhetorical question. And the answer is no. He has not been divided. Actually, brother, he is resting in all his grandeur. He has not been divided. He says, Paul was not crucified, was he? 
or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he goes on in chapter three and just answers all these rhetorical questions in a very uh, 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 profound and concise way. And then he says this, First uh, Corinthians 3, 5, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. And that sums it up right there. We're mere servants. Serve humbly. Remind yourself of who you are and what you are. You're servants who have been ransomed and called out by your sovereign God and equipped by your sovereign God. Go forth and minister in his name. Give him glory and don't get too caught up in yourself. Ministry, healthy ministry, the healthy approach to ministry that honors God is one of humility. And also, there's an element here of fearlessness because Paul, trade, pay, uh, 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 Paul faced many trials, much persecution. So I'm going to label the reality of of uh, uh, another aspect of reality of ministry as being that of suffering. I want you to note here that Paul was fearless in the suffering. So I want you to to incorporate that notion as we think about the the reality of suffering in ministry. But ministry that is to the glory of God is going to have these two aspects in it. There's a, a need, a necessity for humility, and there's a reality of suffering. It's going to cost you. So knowing it's going to cost you or knowing there's going to be suffering, strive to lay these things before God continually that you might minister fearlessly as Paul did. Paul was fearless in the reality of the sufferings of his ministry. He was fearless, and we should be as well. What can man do to you? Your ministry is in God's hands. Now, he's told us up front, it's going to cost you. There's going to be suffering to some degree. If you're here and you, again, are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, here's some reality about that for all true believers. God's going to give you ministry. You, personally, Lay hold to it. Embrace it. Strive to fulfill it. It's going to have an element of suffering in it. Face that with great boldness and fearlessness because God is in control of that suffering. But know that that is true. Philippians 3.8. Listen to Paul. <laughs> as he, and he, he suffered quite a bit, right? So we can look at someone who knows to a great depth what it means to suffer for ministry to cost him. Isn't that what we're afraid of, the cost? Let's be honest. Isn't that what we're afraid of? I mean, we're marshmallow soft. Isn't that what we're afraid of? You can look me in the eyes. I'm at the top of the list. I'm afraid. I'm the softest of the soft. But we still are in Christ and we we have those, those emotions. That doesn't mean That Christ is not in absolute control of our ministry. It's just lining up with that beautiful truth. He's in control. Listen to Paul. He's not all that soft. We would do well to listen to Paul. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, of whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. 2 Timothy 3.12. Now listen as he ministers to Timothy. Listen to the words of Paul to Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Just settle it in your soul. It's going to cost you. If you minister, if your life is an example of your ministry, if your ministry is one that you lay hold of and embrace and long to fulfill, it's going to cost you. I don't know to what degree. That's not the point. It's going to cost you. If you're fearful or you're shielding yourself from that cost, you're in sin. So recognize it. 
and know that it's going to cost you and lay that before the Lord. Because what I mean by in sin, before you start trying to parse that out on me, if you're holding yourself back, you're not obeying what God has called you to do fully. You're aware of it. The Spirit of God makes you aware of it. And God has called it, called you to it, and God has gifted it to you. That's what I'm saying. And if you're hedging on that because of the fear or what it might cost you, then know this. You must lay that before the Lord. He will give you strength to march on and strive to fulfill your ministry. Romans 8.18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time, the suffering, excuse me, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That's Paul's mindset. And Paul is a good example here. That should be our mindset, right? So when an ever-increasingly secular culture comes on and says, well, look, uh, you know, we don't like that Christian stuff. You need to be silenced. That's hate speech. And our response needs, needs to be none. That's the word of God. And thus says the Lord. We have nowhere else to go. This is where we must dig our heels in. They say, well, we're going to take your stuff. And the answer is, what, church? So, Amen. Take it. Well, well, we're going to kill you. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Okay, well then, we're going to make you suffer. Oh. I do not consider the sufferings of this present time to be worthy of that which is compared uh, to be, to be, excuse me, in this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed. In us. Well, well, we're gonna, we're just gonna, then we're gonna, you're gonna what? What are you gonna do? This is our command from our God. Your ministry is your command and your joy from God. Live it out to the glory of God. Live it out to the glory of God. Now listen, that's service to God. Now I want you to look at service toward the church. Service towards God, service toward the church. Look there with me in verse 20. He said to them, how I did not strengthen declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you publicly and from house to house. Again, Paul's teaching has a unique aspect to it. We know that. But we can still glean uh, from this in terms of example and approach to ministry. You have a ministry. And in that part of your ministry is ministry to one another, ministry to the church, right? Amen. Somebody Amen. that's part of your ministry that God calls you to. There's never going to be an aspect of the ministry that God calls you to that does not have an element of your ministry to the church. So if you have a ministry that you feel God's called to you and nothing, of it, nothing about it has to do with the church, then you're missing it. You're, you're, you missed the mark. So rework that. Go before God and rework that. It always has an element of service towards the church. And Paul says, look, I was faithful. I was diligent. The man was fearless. He was faithful to God, fearless in the face of persecution. And also the man was diligent. Listen to the language here. Look, I never, I did not shrink back from declaring anything to you that was profitable. And look how thorough he was in teaching. He taught them publicly and he taught them from house to house. So again, his ministry and our ministry must be predicated upon the truth of Scripture. That's where he goes. He taught. The elders of this church must teach. And there are many other things we could do and many fruitful things that would be honoring to God. And we can work on that. But if it's not at a foundational level teaching, then we've missed the mark. It's the foolishness of preaching that God has called uh, as a means through which the church will be edified. Of course, if we take up the, 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 the approaches of the world and say, well, my goodness, that's just so silly and try it. I mean, you've got to figure out something else. Then we miss the mark. Oh, but my goodness, there's programming to be done. And, and there's a multitude of, uh, of, of things that you need to think about. Look. The elders of this church must 
teach scripture, teach and preach scripture over and over and over. That is the means which God has chosen to edify the church and to unite the church foundationally. Elders, you are to teach. We don't have administrative elders here. Now, we have some brothers, unlike myself, who are gifted in administration. Praise God. God bless y'all. But they have to teach. They have to be equipped to teach. They have to be before God, begging him to help them teach. Okay? That's what we are to do. And this is why 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us here, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All aspects of the Christian life that we will face in our ministry are founded upon the reality of scripture. So scripture is our foundation and our call is to take scripture and teach it. Yes, the elders primarily, but also you are to take scripture and you're to minister to one another. Scripture is our final authority. Yes, we come and we say, thus says the Lord. Scripture is our final authority. It's not a secular worldview. It's not a secular authority. It's not a human authority. It's Scripture. It's the authority of God. And God's authority is the foundation of our ministry to one another. We're to take the word of God and we're to minister to one another. Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we, ha- as, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness, adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, uh, commending ourselves to each man's conscience in sight of God. Now, there's exactly how we are to take the word of God and minister to one another. The elders must teach the word of God. Now, we must live it out before you. And you, as you fulfill your calling to ministry, part of that will be edifying your brothers and sisters in an appropriate manner, in a timely manner, in a consistent manner. So here's here's some application for us to think about in terms of our calling and Scripture being a foundation that builds our character, that gives us capacity to rightly minister one another to the glory of God. We're ministering first and foremost to God, and that's spilling out consistently to to one another. So here's some things to think about. Lay before God in prayer. This is for all of us. Don't hold your time. Ouch. Can't say amen, say ouch. Don't hold your time. And all those things are running through your head right now. Yes, that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That. Don't hold your time. Don't hold your spiritual gifts. Dispense them to the church. Commend yourself to one another with biblically informed love and encouragement. Stay in the word of God. Pray over the word of God. Ask God to take his word and fill you up that you might minister to your brothers and sisters in love and encouragement. Distribute your gifts with passion and joy. Feed on the scripture and pass it out to one another. It's like a banquet. You think of your relationship with your brothers and sisters, you should be thinking of a banquet. No, I know you don't have a ton of time to be with each other. We always struggle with that, but you have some, a lot of, uh, you know, Brother Danny talked about that. It's what we do during the week with our time that sets a standard for our Lord's Day worship. The same is true in your ministry. It's what you're doing with your time. You have time. It doesn't have to be beautiful. It doesn't have to be uh, pristine and precise. It just has to be honest, blood honest, and, and, and an effort, an effort. Take your spiritual gifts that God's given to you and pass them out. Spread them out with joy. Take the word of God. Feed on it yourself and just let it flow out from you to your, to your brothers and sisters like a banquet hall. Just like that guy as they're coming through the line, man, you're passing it out. Good night. Proverbs. 
bam, just passing it out to one another. So not to be cliche this year, but be like Paul. Hold nothing back. You've got a ministry. Part of it is to minister to one another. Don't hold that part back. Don't hold back. Keep nothing back. Fathers, again, teach your families the word of God. Set an example to them as, as Scripture informs you. Scripture is our final authority. It's glorious and joyous to dispense the word of God among the body. Amen. Can you just take that home? Can you take it home and just, just say it to yourself? Pray that before the Lord. It is glorious and joyous to dispense the word of God amongst the body. Amen. Next, I want us to look at service towards the lost. And we've looked at service towards God. I know these are brief, but just lay hold of them, okay? Service towards God, right? Service towards the church, service towards one another. And now service towards the lost. Verse 21. Here's Paul, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks. That's everybody. What? And we've gone over this. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is evangelism. That's what we're looking at. Now, certainly he was solemnly testifying about his life to them. Uh, these Ephesian elders, man, when he first met him, he was evangelizing them. And so now he's ministering to them. He's been with them. They're called to the eldership. He's back with them. This is the last time he's going to see them. He's always testifying about his life. And so should you. Your life should be a testimony. You should have something to testify about. If God has saved you, you have just that. You have a testimony. You have something to testify about. What God is doing in your life. What God has done and what he continues to do in your life. Solemnly do so. But a reality of that. A reality of your ministry, certainly to the church, but not to the church alone. Another reality here to your ministry is service to the lost. You're commanded to do that. Everybody, every Christian. Well, I, brother, I'm not gifted. I'm not called as a sermon. Yes, you are. That's, that's you. That's not me. It's not the scripture. That's you. Yes, you are. Part of your ministry as a minister to the lost, and that is primarily the reality of evangelizing the lost. Here Paul says, I mean, that's everybody, Greeks and Jews, I evangelize them all. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Romans 1, 14 and 16. 14 through 16. I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, Paul has, Paul has a unique ministry. I know. I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. He has a unique ministry. I'm not to evangelize like that. Yes, you are. He has a unique ministry. You're right. But you too, as a follower of Christ, are commanded to carry the gospel. And if you're commanded to carry the gospel, how about you take an example from somebody like Paul? There's a good example. What's our ministry? It's our lives. It's our example. This is where evangelism really hits home because we can talk to one another about it, but you know where evangelism takes root and really burns deep in our soul. There's a passion and joy in there when we see the example of it. We hear the testimonies. We talk about it to one another. We strive for God, begging God to open those doors, doors up for us, open up those opportunities for us to share wherever we are. And here's where you say, well, wait a minute, brother. Uh, you haven't laid out a program for us yet. That's right. You're right there. Guess what? I'm not going to. That's a death knell in church. Man, we programmed it. Have we not programmed ourselves to death enough? Look, God gives you a ministry. You personally, God gives it to you. Not me. I, I, who am I to handcuff you? God's given you a context. God's given you a, a, a place in this world where he has placed you, people around you that you know, people that you meet. God's called you to ministry. Part of that ministry is evangelism. That's what the word of God tells you. It's not my responsibility to give you a, some kind of program. Go forth and obey your king. 
God, look, you don't need me to set this up for you. God has given you this ministry. God, lay yourself before him and beg him to help you obey his call. What can we glean from Paul? We're certainly not apostles of Christ. What can we glean from Paul in terms of ministry, in terms of character, in terms of how that spills out into evangelism? Well, certainly the same heart, the same passion. Here's an easy prayer. We look at Scripture and we can, just, we can take Paul's example. Say, God, what a work you did in the Apostle Paul concerning evangelism. You've called me to evangelism as well. God, give me a passion like that. God, stir that kind of passion in my heart. God, give me a heart of brokenness for the lost around me. God, Help me to not be so caught up in my little petty projects, in my little petty world, in my little petty uh, agenda that I have, that I ignore the lost around me. That's for us. That's for all of us. God help us. He was testifying to them. Now, certainly can, you know, that could be talking about his personal testimony. He had some uniqueness to that as well. But at the minimum, we know in terms of principle of Scripture that he was testifying concerning the gospel, the content of the gospel, the life of Christ, the cross of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the hope of salvation that's found in Christ alone. And then he was making an appeal. He was declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in context, in its content. Whatever his context was, he was laying the content of the gospel into that context. And then he was making an appeal. He's calling them to the reality of repentance and faith. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's calling for a proper response. And the first, of course, there is the effectual call of God. That's first. But there is a real active response from man. And that real active response from man is repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's calling them to. He here's the content of the gospel. And here's your only hope. And here's what God commands of you. Repent and believe on Christ. That is the content of the gospel and an appeal to the right response to the gospel. That's what it means to evangelize. Just remind you, I'll just, I'll just go back to our catechism here just so I can just get that beautiful language of repentance and faith in there. Repentance. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. This is a quote from the catechism. Repentance unto life is a saving grace by which a sinner, out of the true sense of his sin and understanding of the mercy of God in Christ, does, with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of striving after new obedience. Ooh, that's pretty thorough. What about faith? Let me just read you from my catechism again. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace by which we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. There's the content of the gospel and there's the reality of the right, right appeal. Respond rightly to the gospel. That's what it means to evangelize. Now, Paul was a herald of the gospel. He's a great example for us. And this example, our ministry is going to be an example of our character. Our character must be built upon the truth of Scripture. And if it's built upon the truth of Scripture, then our character is going to lead our ministry. And we are going to minister by example primarily. By example. Our lives. And Paul was a herald of the gospel. Now, I'm old enough. When I was a young fella, the, the carnival would come to town, right? And you would have the carnival rides. They would come out and sit up at the fairground. You have the carnival rides. And uh, you would buy a certain amount of tickets as you would go in. You'd pay to go in. You'd buy a certain amount of tickets. And uh, you had that a lot of that a lot of amount of tickets, whatever ride you wanted to ride, uh, um, depending on how many tickets you bought. And always at the back of the carnival was uh, the magic shows, right? So I'd always, you know, I wanted to save a couple of tickets. No matter what I rode, I wanted to save a couple of tickets. For, for the carnival, I mean, for the for the magic show, and it would come every hour or so, and we would know when the carnival was going on. It's later than we would know because then a herald for the magic show would come out from behind the curtain, and the herald would come out and say, "Hear ye, hear ye! Come one, come all! See the great fill in the blank magic show!" Right? So the herald would come out and call us from the carnival rides in to see the pay and go through the the curtain there and sit down and see the magic show. I know, I, I, I'm sorry, I know all the millennials. I just lost them, man. This is a glaze right there. 
Just humor me. He was a herald in the same way Paul was a herald of the gospel. He came out in the square and said, come one, come all. Hear the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves. Repent and believe on Christ. And that's exactly what we're called to. 1 Corinthians 1.23. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block to the Gentiles foolishness. Is it going to be easy? No. Is there opposition to the gospel in this fallen world? Yes. That is a reality, but it cannot dictate to you. That's a spiritual, I mean, that's a scriptural truth. So you know this reality. Your call is from God. Your command to evangelize is from God. Trust God and carry the gospel and leave the rest to God. Honestly. Carry it faithful and leave the saving to God. Honestly do that. That's my heart's desire to compel you. Do just that. Of course it's a stumbling block. Of course it's foolishness. Only God can save. Your responsibility is to carry the content of the gospel. The life, the death, the cross, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and an appeal to repent and believe the gospel. That's on you. 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. Don't you like that language? That's what you are. Same is true for us. You're an ambassador of Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. There it is. There it is. That's your command. Carry that gospel. You see what Paul, this is the language of Paul. We beg you. Now, if anybody had the right in their flesh to get jaded, it would be Paul, wouldn't it? If anybody knows what it's like to have the gospel that you proclaim be viewed as a stumbling block, to have the gospel that you proclaim be viewed as foolishness. And beyond that, for people to just beat you up for it. It's Paul. He knows that. And listen to his heart here. We beg you. There's no piety there. There's no high haughtiness there. There's no, oh, take it or leave it. There's no theology driving this. Well, God's going to save who he's going to save. And I said, so what? Well, God is going to save who he saves. God does save. So we're to get out there and beg them. Why wouldn't you? If you're here and you've been saved. Why wouldn't I? Good night. Why would God save me? Who am I? Who are you? Oh, my goodness, that our hearts be broken over the loss. God help us. Beg them. Beg them to repent and believe in Christ. Be like Paul. Be an ambassador of Christ. And finally, service to yourself. Verses 22 to 24. Service to yourself. Look there with me. Now, behold... Bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that uh, uh, bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Ooh, ah, that's too good. That's too good to even ponder. I should just stop. I don't know what to say. That's too good. Look, this is our ministry to ourselves. We, we see the ministry to our the service to our God, our service towards God, our service to, towards one another, our service towards the lost. And there's a service, if you will. I don't know if it's, it's, the, it's the best English, but our service to ourselves. Okay? Think about your service to yourself. Here it is. This is the language. Now think about Paul's language here. This is a language of self-sacrifice. This is a language of selflessness. Are those words even in our vocabulary anymore as soft, marshmallow soft Americans? Do we even have those? You're living in a culture of self-indulgence, self-righteousness, self-aggrandizing. 
And it can seep into the body of Christ. We're all about the self. Well, this is what God has called us to self-sacrifice so that we're all about our God and the ministry he's given us. You've got one life to live as a Christian, and you've got a ministry. You've got one ministry to practice, one. One shot at it. Lay hold of it. Love it. Long for it. Desire to fulfill it. It doesn't have to look pretty. It doesn't have to impress anybody. It doesn't have to be glamorous. It doesn't have to be noticed. It doesn't have to go without criticism. You have to be faithful. You have to be faithful. And you have to suffer. So in order to take up your ministry to God rightly, you're going to have to beg him to give you the gift of self-sacrifice. Of selflessness. A sacrifice of your self-will. Paul was bound by his arrogance. Paul was bound by his preoccupation with this world. Paul was bound by fear of dying. Paul was bound by the spirit. You see that? Now, again, it could be his spirit. He's talking about it doesn't necessarily mean it's both. Not necessarily in this text, it doesn't, it doesn't really distinguish. It's the Holy Spirit. Certainly we know that's predicating this language. It could be I'm bound in my spirit because my spirit belongs to the Holy Spirit. When dwells me. And now I am striving to be filled by the spirit and fulfill my ministry. So both are true there. Okay. But you get the picture. He's bound by his duty and to God, his love of God and the sacrifice of himself as he fulfills his ministry given to him by God. And this binding here is literally a, 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 the language that pictures change. So it's, it's a binding. It's an obligation. If you're chained to something, you're obligated to it. That's the binding here. So it's not a superficial binding. It is a blood earnest, lifelong, full on Binding. It is an obligation. And he sees it and he embraces it. It's one thing to be bound, it's another thing to embrace the chains. Paul here is saying, as a Christian, we are to embrace the change as slaves of Christ. We are bound to Christ as his slaves. And he has commanded us to go forth. And take up our ministry with a heart's desire to fulfill it. So it's an obligation to this ministry effort. Now he's speaking specifically about getting this monetary gift back to the church in Jerusalem, specifically in context here. But it's an overarching reality to his ministry endeavor and how he sees ministry. So he wants to bind these churches together in love and sacrifice. Uh, and, and that's his heart's desire here. He knows in verse 23 that persecution is coming. Listen, when he, when he was in Corinth prior, and he wrote Romans in Corinth, listen to what he, how he, what he says in, in chapter 15, verse 31, as he's writing to the Romans, preparing to go to Jerusalem. Listen to what he says to them. He's asking them for prayer, that uh, I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. So he's already praying to the Roman church, asking the Roman church that they'll pray for him, that God will protect him in this endeavor. But he's locked in to his faithfulness, to the ministry. He's locked in. Pray. Ask saints to pray for you. Stay locked in. It's going to take sacrifice. Here's the application. Pray. Read the scripture. Seek God's direction and ministry for your life and abandon yourself to it. Pray that God will give you the strength to abandon yourself to it. Pray. Read the word and seek God's direction and ministry. Desire to finish the work of ministry that God has given you. He's given you a ministry. He's given you a work to his glory. Desire to finish it. Let that be your heart's desire. Not to achieve some uh, um, promotion at work, although there's nothing wrong with that. Not to achieve some lofty degree, although there's nothing wrong with that. Not to achieve some uh, um, social status in, in some neighborhood somewhere with some kind of home, although there's nothing wrong with that. But that can't drive you. And if that has to go in order for this to drive you, then let it go. If God calls you somewhere else and it's not quite as cushy, go there. 
If God calls you to let certain things go that you're holding on to too tightly, let them go. This must be our driving, the driving reality of our ministry, desiring to finish the work of the ministry that God has given us. Listen to Paul again, talking to Timothy here. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid out for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's what drives your desire to fulfill your ministry right there. That's it. Think about your sacrifice for ministry. Think about it. The Spirit of God indwells you. He's not going to mislead you. You just got to deal with reality. Think about it. Here we go. Let me give you something practical. Think about your time. Think about your money. Uh-oh. Think about your money. Think about your comfort. Think about your comfort. Okay? Lay those things before the Lord in prayer. Here's a marker for you, okay? Do this. Do, do with this what you will. Let me just put this out here for you, though. If you're comfortable in ministry, you're probably ministering in the power of your own flesh. Ministry is never really comfortable, okay? It's just never really comfortable. If you're comfortable, that's probably you. And you're missing the mark a bit. Can I say that to you with love? You're missing the mark a bit. I love you. If you're comfortable, you're missing the mark a bit. Just think about that. Lay that before God in prayer. Look, there's an awe-stricken uneasiness in honoring God. There's an awe-stricken uneasiness in the work of ministry because that work depends upon you and your character that's shaped by Scripture, that your character that's shaped by you laying yourself before the Lord in prayer, that's shaped by you sacrificing your self-will. That's never comfortable. It's glorious. It's much better than comfortable. It's glorious. There's the rub, right, brother? It's counterintuitive. It's a spiritual reality. It hurts. It's no choice. Look for that awe-stricken uneasiness in your ministry. And stay there. Look, God empowers your ministry. That's where we can take our, 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 our rest. God empowers your ministry. Lay all of it. Look, if you're holding back, if these things are an issue, you know where you are. The Holy Spirit knows where you are. Lay all these things down at the altar of God. Lay them down at the altar of God in prayer and don't pick them up. It's not. It's above my pay grade to tell you what your ministry is. It's above my pay grade to pigeonhole you. Why would I do that when God's already doing that for you? Lay hold of it. Embrace it. Lay these things. Lay these things before the altar of God and just leave them there. Oh, that God would give us a heart's desire to minister, to see that, to live it, to love it, to embrace it, and to strive to fulfill it. God's in control of your life. So take risk. All right? Take risk. I have a dear sister in Christ that just does not like to fly. I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> does not like to fly. But I saw this, dear sister. I mean, you want to see somebody pray? You watch Christians that like to fly. They'll pray. I saw this sister time after time get on flights in, in Africa. Puddle, puddle jumpers, I mean, prop planes, you name it. Man, we were on everything. Just flying all over the place. And I mean, she is fervent in prayer. She hates to fly. Part of her ministry is risky for her. She blew all over us. God's in control of your ministry. God is in control of your ministry. Take risk. Paul, this is goodbye to them. It's goodbye. It's the last time he see This is the last thing he gives. Now we get it. Lay hold of this text. Love it. Pray over it. Seek God for your ministry and desire to live it out. Look, 
Here's what Paul says to them in a nutshell. This is my language, not Paul, but here's what he says. Let, take this, and we're stopping right here. Here's the application. This is Paul. Look, I discharge my ministry. This is what he's saying to the Ephesians. I discharge my ministry to you in full. Now the response where it belongs to you. He brought him here this last time he talked to him. And this is basically what I said. I've given you all I got. Every ounce of my being. I've been an example to you. I've practiced everything I've preached. Right? I've practiced everything I've preached. Now, now the responsibility is on you. Now the ball's in your court. That's how you want to live your ministry. Everyone that God calls you to minister to, that's exactly how you want to live it out. Where you can say to them, I've given you all I got. I've exemplified to you everything that I've preached to you. Now the ball's in your court. That's what you want to be able to say. Not in arrogance, in great humility, because that's genuine ministry. Now the ball's in your court. I've given you all of God. I gave you the truth. And you can say this. You can say this when you exercise the right approach to ministry. May God help us do so. Let's pray. Gracious Father, oh, how humbling this text is to us. How convicting. God help us. You've called us to ministry. You've equipped us for ministry. You've gifted us for ministry. You've commanded us to carry the gospel. Oh, how easy it is to fall into comforts of this world. How easy it is to hide out. How easy it is to fall prey to the flesh. We ask that you would give us strength, that you would give us boldness, that you would fill us with your word, and that you would send us forth with a heart's desire, passion, to lay hold of the ministry that you've called us to and to fulfill it. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.